Tyler, did you you got gas in your car? She said, yeah. Most people have run out or come close to it. Why? Let's just say, okay, there, there's a reason. There's like an over, very extenuating circumstance where you're desperate and broke and you have to, you know, let's just rule that one out. Because that's not why it happens most of the time, okay? Usually we procrastinate, don't we? We'll see it and then we're like, ah, oh, I got it. It says I can go 40 more miles. And then I got reserves. It'll go on fumes for three miles. Or we get lazy sometimes. Or oblivious. Sometimes we never even noticed it. But we should have. But there everybody's got somebody in their family or a friend. But again, let's assume we don't. None of us have that family member or friend, or is plural. So we're talking about somebody we heard about who has a friend or a family member who always is the one running out of gas. Always is the one needing the benevolence. It's the same one, or ones, over and over and over and over again. And you look at them closely and it all just points to a life of bad choices. Irresponsibility, laziness, procrastination, or just oblivious. So self-centered and self-absorbed, they just don't think. And then their failure to prepare becomes a crisis for everyone else. And if, and if you don't take it as seriously as they do because they screwed up, they get mad at you. And usually if you help them out, they're going to get mad at you anyway. Because it's good to help people. Don't get me wrong. But there's a certain point when the Holy Spirit will tell you, don't believe me. Because otherwise you become an enabler beyond that point. And you're creating something that you're not going to be able to handle down the road. And it will it can really destroy your life. Because they're destroying theirs, and they're like a madras crab. You know, you can put a madras crab in a basket full of other madras crabs, and none of them will get out. They'll try, but every time one gets up by the top, the others will pull him back down. <laughs> I hope this isn't hidden too close to home with anyone. But that's... <laughs> i tell you like this. I was, my wife and I were at a rodeo in uh, the big country up in Stamford, Texas, six hours north of Abilene, and uh, a couple years ago. And there's a, there's a, you know, all the events in a rodeo, they came from ranching, you know, and uh, guys like they do when there's things they had to do on the ranch from time to time over and over, they, it gets to be a competition. <laughs> See who can do it faster. Who, so they make it a rodeo event, right? And there's one you've probably seen called tie-down roping. It's just where the one, the, you know, they give the calf a little head start, and then the one guy on horseback run, goes after it, and as soon as he lets his rope loose, that horse puts on the brakes. And that, it, it gets on that calf's neck, and it yanks him back, and that, that cowboy's already off the horse, and he grabs that, that calf, and he turns it down. He's got something in his mouth called a, 
a, a, a pigeon's uh, sting, and it, it's a, it's to hog tie. You know, you can grab any three legs, and, and you got to tie them up and do this, and it can't move. And then he goes back, and he has the horse. Then will release tension. He'll keep tension on it until that happens, and then he release tension, and it can't get up. And then they score him on that. All that to say this: we saw this event, and. This guy, he had a great horse, and he was good at it. He roped his calf, and by the time that rope's halfway through the air, he's already off of that horse, and he ain't looking back at the horse. You see, that horse has been trained. He knows what to do. And sure enough, that calf was roped, and that dude was after that calf, and that horse was pulling back. The problem is something very bizarre happened with the rope. And it got tangled and looped around the horse's legs. And as he pulled, doing his job as he was trained to do and nothing else until the job gets done, he was about to break his own legs. It was apparent and and very, uh, it was about to happen. I mean, it was, and it, it happens so fast that you don't, nobody really knows what to do, you know, I mean, you don't want to interfere with an event. At the same time, you see something terrible is going on there. You don't know if there's a procedure for this. If it, You know what I mean? All this is going through your mind at once. Everybody's just astonished. And in an instant, this older cowboy, like me. I mean, I mean, old like me, not a cowboy like me. I, I, you know, I have cows, but I'm not a cowboy. I'm, but <laughs> he, he ran all the way from the chutes to the middle of the arena, full speed, whipped out his pocket knife and cut that rope in one slice. <laughs> I'm just, I was so impressed. And then he just turned around and walked back. And never even, like, that's how it's done. (laughs) That didn't come. I'm sure there were a lot of good men, good young men there helping, assisting, doing everything they could. They're probably watching guys like him to learn. and, And you can learn a lot from the old guys, you know. But these young guys, they didn't do it because they froze up. They didn't know, you know. Quick to respond. This guy, though, was prepared. This old fellow. He was prepared. He was quick to respond. He was watchful. He was... He cared, you know? Very much. And he kept his knife sharp. I was sharpening my knife yesterday and it made me think of this. A a dull knife is no good to anyone. And I, I've been carrying my, my pocket knife. I used to wear a suit and tie for years and years. I didn't carry it then. But anytime I have jeans on and I'm working or out in the, in the pasture or whatever, I have my pocket knife. And I've gotten so used to it that I just, it's like an extension of me. It's a tool. A real man never carries one as a weapon. You understand what I'm saying? Not an offensive one anyway. But it becomes a very great tool to have. But they have to be sharp. Had he had to hack away on this rope, yeah. which some knives do, it might not have been in time. He didn't have time to go borrow a sharp knife or to sharpen his knife. He was ready. He, prepared, he was prepared and he cared. And this, I just thought this had a very 
practical implication on what I'm talking about today. You see what I'm saying? This is what the Lord is calling us to. We, we see last week I talked about in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everybody who says to me on that day, talking about judgment day, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of God. But only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. He said, but, and then they made their case. But Lord, didn't we, didn't we preach in your name and do mighty works in your name? These are religious people. And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Just like he told these girls, you workers of iniquity. That, that is very sobering. But I can tell you, it's all just about relationship with God. The imagery for this, for this parable, again... The wedding feast. In those days, people knew what it meant. It was a big deal. On the day of the wedding, the groom would usually go to the the bride's house and they would have the ceremony. He would prepare his home, the place where they were going to live. And then, whenever it was ready, people would be waiting for him to return to get her, you see. And they were watching the whole village would be watching for this dude to return. And when they saw him, they would start shouting, The bridegroom's coming! The bridegroom's coming! Here he comes! And then he would go and get her and take her back to the place where they were going to live. And there would be a big procession. The whole village and all their friends and family who had probably been in town waiting would follow them over there. And they would party for sometimes a week. Hey! This is where Jesus, one of those events is where Jesus did his first miracle. He undid the curse. You see, when Moses touched the the water, the Nile with his staff and turned the water into blood, symbolic of death, Jesus turned the water into wine. A picture of joy and life. I'm here to undo all those curses, he said, without saying anything. But anyway, that's what, that's what the, the wedding feast would, would sort of go like. Now these lamps that they carried, they were just little clay pots that were made into lamps. They were, they were made out of clay. And then the oil would have been olive oil that kept them burning, you see. The lamp is just... a. You hear there's scriptures that there's, a, there's even a Christian group called Jars of Clay. It says that God has put this great gift in, in, in these earthen vessels, these jars of clay, you see. That's a picture of your body, your, your fleshy self. And the oil in the Bible, olive oil, represents the Holy Spirit, you see. Five of the virgins, they lacked the Holy Spirit. And they came in the flesh. And they were not acceptable. You see? God gives us the Holy Spirit. Right? It's nothing that we earn. Right? This is not a do good, get good, do bad, get beat relationship. No. Nothing we can do to earn it. Jesus earned it. We accept Him. And then God, He provides us with His Holy Spirit. 
the beautiful third person of the Trinity who has come here to come alongside the paraclete who comes alongside us as a partner, as a to teach us and to guide us through this life to our final destination with our heavenly bridegroom. Amen? He provides us with power and teaching and guidance and the ability to produce good fruit of conduct and character in this life. And those five virgins lacked it. Just to show you again that this is all true as we finish up here. Romans chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. Chapter 8, verse 9, says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Capital S. There's your olive oil, okay? If... In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I love this. Anybody need healing for their bodies? Receive it right now. Listen to this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. (laughs) No weapon formed against you can prosper. By Jesus' stripes you were healed. Amen. You are Holy Ghost powered. If God be for you, who can be against you? Who's going to judge that which belongs to God? The only true judge. First mm. John 3 verse 24 says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Hallelujah. He said, well, what have I got to do? Everybody wants to know what they have to do to earn it, to, to receive it. You see, they, they think they, they have to do something to earn it. It's not like that at all. The Bible tells us in Luke 11, verse 3, it says, If you, being evil, and you say, well, that's rude. Well, trust me, compared to God and without without Jesus, we are evil. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't care how much good we do. All our righteousness compared to Him is as filthy rags. But He said, you, being evil, love to give good gifts to your children. We do. Everybody can relate to that in some way. Even if you don't have kids, you've got... Somebody special that you like to be a blessing to, or grandkids, or whatever. He says, you being evil love to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your Father who is in heaven 
give you the Holy Spirit. One gospel says, give good things to those who ask. And then the, 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 the mirror passage of Scripture in, 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 in Luke simply refers to the good things that He wants to give you as the Holy Spirit because it's all in Him. It all comes through Him. All the peace, love, joy you'll ever need in this whole life is found in the Holy Spirit. And when He takes up residence in this earthen vessel, you've been given then the measure of faith, the dipper for the well. Hello. Making the connection here? Titus 2.11, and I'm done, and 12. Two of my favorite scriptures. He kind of just puts it out there and makes it plain. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, all people. And it teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present evil age. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Jesus died for everybody. Everybody. So if the grace of God brings salvation and it's appeared to everybody, then why isn't everybody saved? Because they're not, are they? Because it requires a faith response. Faith is just... And we're called to live a life of faith, aren't we? Jesus says, when I return, am I even going to find faith? How sad. Faith is simply our positive response to the things provided by the grace of God. You believed, you believed it when you received Him. You, you trusted it enough to believe for forgiveness and your eternal destiny with Him. You didn't have to earn that. Remember, you were, matter of fact, you were probably not doing too good. And somebody came and said, he loves you and he died for you. All you have to do is accept him. And you said, okay. <laughs> so the bigger thing, eternity is a long time. Believe me, we're just here for a flicker. But he gave us temporal gifts as well. By his stripes, you were healed. I can prove that that means physical healing for this life. And he say, well, I hope so. Man, I'm glad you didn't say that about your salvation. <laughs> Healing is just as much a part of our inheritance as forgiveness of sins. Jesus compared the two and said that which is easier to say. You're forgiven or take up your mat and walk. <laughs> it's easier to say take up your mat and walk because we can, we can really... We can really see that person get up and go. Your, your forgiveness, we can't really see that. We have to accept it by faith. You have to believe that when he, when he hung there suspended between heaven and earth, destitute, beaten and broken and, and alone, forsaken by God and man, 
He became poor that you might be rich. You have to understand that poverty is part of the curse, not from God. Don't mean we won't ever be broke or have money problems, but that's just a temporary situation. Poor is a state of mind. And it's demonic. But see, until you believe those things, the same as the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, I could put in, as grace, I could put in the healing of God has appeared to all men. The prosperity of God has appeared to all men. The peace, love, and joy of God has appeared to all men. But we have to receive those things by faith. Amen. We have to have a positive response. That's it. That's how we enter into the rest that he's provided. It's not by working hard. Oh, I got to be better. I got to be. Let him make you better. Becoming better is a byproduct of the relationship. It's the fruit of the relationship, not the root. And then once you receive the grace of God in its totality and you find somebody that will teach it to you properly, instead of saying that God has put all these things on you to teach you a lesson, and oh, he just needed uh, your husband or your child in heaven more than they needed them here. You know, those kind of lies are demonic. And it keeps you from receiving from God the true grace of God because it may, when you believe that it's God that's doing the bad thing, why pray against it? I'll just struggle through it. God's teaching me something. Really? How about we just kick the devil in the teeth and send him on his way? Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. The devil, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Anything the enemy is trying to steal from you? Ever try to kill you? Try to destroy anything in your life? That you cared about? That's not God. Why is it important to know this? Because James teaches us, resist the devil. Turn to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a promise. Standing on the promises of God. You see, what promises are you standing on? You have to know what they are. You have to believe and receive or doubt and do without it's a choice. Amen? Amen? See, once you do receive it, verse 12 says that it teaches us. See, see people say, oh, the, by, by grace, I can just, I just do the best I can. But I'm going to keep on doing the things I like to do that I know, you know, he may not approve of. But that's what Jesus is for. I do the best and he, he covers the rest. That's a, that's a lie from the devil. <laughs> that's a lie from the devil. Because it says right here in verse 12, the grace of God... So we're still talking about the grace of God that appeared, has appeared, that brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Verse 12 says, it teaches. What teaches? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present evil age. The grace of God empowers us to do the will of God. To do and to be all that He has called us to do and to be. That's real grace. Knowing that the enemy has no more hold on you. Oh, I'm just to this. It's just a one day at a time. I'm at 85 days. Let's have a party. But if something bad happens, I may slip. You're going to slip. Because you've given yourself an out. You know? 
It's like getting married and still keeping all the different checking accounts and the different this and signing to this and that. You got too many ways out. And if you listen to the world for a little while, they're going to encourage you to take it. Heck, the government pays you better if you're single. Parent. Christians, we need to wake up. We need to be discipled in the Word of God. We need to know what's true and what's not because it's going to get worse. In the last times, things are going to get much worse. You think it's bizarre the things you hear and see today? Yes, they are. But it's going to get even worse. The devil has so many people deceived. And we have to keep on just proclaiming the truth. And it's only found in one person, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's let's be in that group that uh, has plenty of oil. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which you give freely to those who ask you. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you live today, that you live to intercede for us. It's good to know that you're always praying for us. We thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Keep us filled. Give us a fresh, fresh filling of the Holy Ghost, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of the kingdom of God, for writing our names in your book of life. But help us to walk in the fullness of our inheritance here in this life, to walk in power and love and victory and peace, and to help others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.